Welcome to My Life, Chassidah Supplied, episode 209. This episode is uh, sponsored by Mordechai Slavin. Thank you so much for that. As I've been mentioning, this program is a community-sponsored uh, um, initiative which is made possible by your donations and your generous contributions. So please help us out. Much time and effort and energy goes into creating My Life Because It Is Supplied. We're rating 209 episodes. Please help us out by going to MeaningfulLife.com slash sponsorship to dedicate in the, in the, for a loved one or in the memory of a loved one a program or many programs. And thank you for that. This is also an opportunity to tell you about where you can submit any question Nothing is off limits, completely anonymously at MeaningfulLife.com slash MyLife. There you have a forum where you can submit any question, and make any comment, as well as a wide array and rich resources, including all the archives of the previous 208 episodes, which are all time-stamped, meaning you can go to the YouTube video of each one of them and see exactly and go straight to the place that you want to go to without having to listen to the entire thing. I don't mind if you listen to it all, but since time is precious, you can actually go to the subject, click on the, the it'll take you right to the link to where to the topic that is being addressed. So we are now in the month of Ir. We're entering this today. This is the first day of the Shchedish Ir. So everyone, Afrelech Shchedish Ir. Shchedish Ir is, of course, a unique month in many ways. Um, in the fact that, number one, as the Rebbe points out time and again, that Ir is a month that every day of the month is we became a special mitzvah, the counting of the Emer, which began the second night of Pesach and goes all the way till the night before Shavuos, 49 days, 7 weeks, 7 times 7. Each of these days is a preparation as we count down in great anticipation, as the Ran writes, in the end of Psachim, Sechta Psachim, Gaguim, the yearning that the Jews had going to Mount Teda, and that's recreated every year. In addition, of course, as Chassidus explains, is Birud Hamidus, the refinement of our personalities. How much, how more, how, isn't that more, and nothing more apropos to Chassidus applied, which is taking, going from Chesed, Shebech Chesed, evaluating a breakdown of the details, as the Mitla Rebbe writes in, the, in Shari Yichud, cited very often by the Rebbe, that Hezbonus, when you want to contemplate on correcting and improving your life, it's not, just, it's not enough to just say, I want to be a better person in a general way. You have to be specific. So the 49 days of the Omer, actually, as we say each day, we refine and we purify and we sanctify and we um, elevate each one of our 49 attributes, of our emotional attributes, chesed of chesed, gvur of chesed, teferis of chesed, and so on. Now we are in the week of teferis, which begins the third week. And uh, this year, of course, because Pesach was, um, the counting started on Metzai Shabbos, so we're in the week of teferis. And we are, Teferis, of course, refers to the middle path, which is compassion as well as beauty and harmony, the harmony in our lives. If you want to have some help in doing so, you can easily go to the book I created and prepared, which is The Spiritual Guide to Counting the Omer, or you can download the free app, My Omer. It's available both for iOS phones as well as Android, and, which, is, which is essentially a summation of my book, which takes each day and gives a meditation, exercise, and questions to be asked to help refine that particular day. So this is the month of Ir, Ir, which begins literally today, the first day of Rishchidosh, tomorrow is the second day of Rishchidosh, Ir. Ir is also the Rosh is the acronym, Ani Hashem Refecha. I, God, am your healing, healer, and healing can be in two ways. There's the way healing is as, as responding to Healing that comes after the fact, which is after a person has an illness, God forbid, or any type of challenge or problem, you look for healing. And then there's Ani Hashem Refecha, the way God heals is It's in a way that preventive medicine, what do we call? Preventive, preempting challenges by creating a healthy life initially, so it preempts and prevents any, any illness, whether it's physical or spiritual or psychological or emotional. And again, in the context of Chassidus applied, Chassidus provides us, Taylor in general provides us with a way, let's to unite people, to, to create healthier human beings, to actualize our faculties 
to our, our abilities and all our talents and potential and to weed out the negative, especially Chassidus does that Levada Teva Midesov or Levada Mivdis Hativim, the two different expressions, to refine the natural inclinations and emotions and, um, of our lives. So especially when it comes to the counting of the Omer, that is specifically we're refining those emotions. So you can do it in two ways. You can do it in a way where a person, for example, is dealing with anger or they're dealing with a lack of being generous or they're dealing with too much ambition and not balanced by humility. Go through each one of the seven as an imbalance. You can do it once you have a problem, you go ahead and find ways to correct it. Ear gives us the power, Ani Hashem Lefecha, Hashem says, follow my instructions, follow my guidelines, and and specifically and and you come to a point, you initially don't have to rely, initially don't have to worry about a concern, because you, can, you initially create a healthier situation. So when a person aligns themselves in following the guidelines in Chassidus, in Tanya, and in the Ma'amari Chassidus that come after Tanya, which Tanya is called the written Torah, of Chassidus, and then the Teresh of Chassidus, you essentially are being provided with a blueprint, a blueprint for living, a blueprint for living the most healthy, emotional possible life, and of course, driven by the cognitive, cognitive meaning the intellectual, which is the Mayach Shalta Alev, that the cognitive controls the reflective mind, directs and guides the impulsive heart, but it also guides and harnesses it that the heart and emotions should be used and, and uh, directed in a way that is only for productive means and toward growth and toward, toward a healthier life instead of a selfish one, a selfless one. So this is the time we are in, and since month of year is all about that type of uh, refinement, both in the counting of the Omer and has also, also hinted to and alluded to in the name of the month, year. We're also specifically going, this week will be also Bezir, which will be Tuesday, um, being that uh, today's uh, the second day of Shredish is Alafir will be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday actually, Bezir, yeah. So we will have also Bezir, which is the which is the Yemai Ledes of the of the Rebbe Marash, the fourth Chabad Rebbe, and as the Rebbe called him Lechatchila Riber. So let's talk a moment about Bezir, and that is that uh, Bezir, of course, the Rebbe Marash Lechatchila Riber, based on his famous expression, which. As I said, the Rebbe turned it into being like the modus operandi, or you could say the theme, the central focus of the Rebbe Marash and his lifestyle and his approach was that the Veldzokt and Mekenesh Tarun to Geit Menariber. Excuse me. <clears throat> um, and and Irzog, one second, what did I say, Bezir? I say today is Lamed Nisan, then there's the Shredish here, tomorrow is Alafir, and Tuesday, yeah, Tuesday is Bezir. So the Reb Marash said, "The Veldzok that Mikanesh Tarun to Gape Nariber, Nirzog Lechatchil Nariber." Simple English. This means that the Velt, the general conventional approach is you try the conventional direction in, in resolving any issue. You go in that path. If that doesn't work. You can't go below. You go above. Usually, you go through the door. You don't climb above the gate. However, Nirzog Lechatchil Nariber. Why go conventional? Go lechatchila in a way that is above. Famous story of the Rebbe, Tovshin Yud Zayin Rosh Hashanah. They would walk to the Tashlich before before they dug a well in seven seventy. So every Rosh Hashanah and Tashlich, the Rebbe would walk with a whole parade, a whole talucha to botanical gardens. The famous story was that it was raining that Rosh Hashanah, raining the botanical gardens was closed. So the Rebbe, with unexpectedly, literally climbed over the gate and leaped over. And when did Tashlich, by the time the others were able to climb, those that were able to climb, the Rebbe was already going back. And it's a, a classic story, everyone, a famous story. But the point was, there was that concept of the Chathchila Riber, that sometimes you go through the door and it's open, but sometimes the Chathchila Riber, here's the gate, you could have gone and called the guards or called somebody and say, maybe you can open the gate. Chathchila Riber, which is an approach, especially in our day and age, sometimes taking the conventional approach takes slower, and it's a, uh, and, and it's a process. Chathchil means that you go with a broad-minded approach initially, and you usually can preempt and, rev- and, and preempt many of the conventional problems that would go with the regular going-under-the-gate approach as opposed to going over. And this, each one of us can apply to our personal lives that we de- deal with a challenge. Often we deal with a challenge. Yes, we have to 
contend with the, with the issues and discuss them and negotiate and so on. And sometimes the Chathil Aribin says, you know what, instead of me going and starting negotiating and so on, obviously all done B'dark Kineyam or B'dark Yisholam, we're talking about not fighting, God forbid, that's not the point. The point is sometimes you may not have the exact money that's necessary, or you may not have the confidence to get it done. Chathil Aribin says, you know what, you're going on the places of the Reb Marash, you're going with his strength, you're going with the strength of the Rabbeim, so I'll just take the leap and a positive thing and Hashem will help. Obviously, this has to be done with discretion. This doesn't just mean wildkeit, wildness, but it's a form of shtuz de gdusha, where you go sometimes not the rational approach, you go super rationally. And this can be applied in many different ways, especially in the context of chassidus applied, my life chassidus applied, that each of us has many different issues. There are times you have to go step by step. That's the way the nature of the, of the world is. But there are many times that we go with an approach where we really take a, a breite kuk, a broad look, and you'll see this always with leaders. They don't always say, you know what, let's do it step by step. Let's take the leap. You know what, we're going to take the risk. We're going with that faith and confidence that we can do it. And doors open up. It's a nachshem ben of approach sometimes, taking a leap. But it's a leap that is based on, obviously, faith and trust. And based on, also on, based on intelligence. It's not just, as I said, vilka. It's not just being wild. But it's an approach that often creates tremendous success because it opens up doors when you have that type of confidence. Now, this applies to every situation in a person's life. When we have, let's say, a difficulty, many of the questions that are asked at this, pla- this platform or questions that we ask our, private, our personal questions to a mashpia, to a mentor, to a teacher, to a rav. So there too, there can be the approach where, the chat- where, where you go, okay, you deal with the problem, with the symptoms, and you try to find the remedial solutions. But sometimes, like in the month of Ir, you go with a way, let me do something that preempts or goes above and beyond the required and you end up creating tremendous results. And you see this time and again. An example would be the story with the, with the Friedrich Rebbe. The Rebbe told him a number of times where someone, the Friedrich Rebbe asked him to sponsor a set of printing, publishing a set of books of Svarim and he said he doesn't have the money. So the Rebbe, Friedrich Rebbe told him if What does that mean? That means that everyone has conventional channels that work a certain way. But there are times where the best, the best approach of all is that you go ahead and you just say, I'm going to take upon this thing. God is your partner. You make the partner and God opens up channels. Even psychologically this works. It's the confidence that you totally believe and totally accept that some things are possible and don't always go with a pure, rational, and limited approach which we mortals all have our fears, we all have our concerns. Going with total confidence like that, like the march of victory, even before you begin to fight the battle, as was the custom, that itself infuses us with confidence and new channels open up if necessary. This can be applied to any given challenge and situation. Since we're talking about the Reb Marash, I want to bring two other points that I think are very relevant to Reb Marash's approach to this applied Aspect. The Reb Marash once told somebody, someone came to the Reb Marash and said that he has a friend that did something really bad. He's ashamed to come to the Rebbe, so he sent him as a shliach to ask for a tikkun, ask for something, how to repair, how to correct, remedy the situation. The Reb Marash smiled and said, why did he have to expose himself to you and uh, reveal what he did? He could have come to me and said, I have a friend. If you think about it, obviously it was a little... Uh, like basically exposing and saying that most, most likely it's, this is the person, but he's ashamed to say it. But it's an interesting approach that many of us sometimes take. You can learn too few things from this. Not that we have to necessarily expose everybody who comes to ask us a question. Sometimes it's important to know someone comes and they're, not, they're, they're a little ashamed. So fine, so let them speak as if it's another party. And that way they can perhaps speak openly. The Reb Marash obviously understood that this person he can speak to openly. He told them this. But it's so, it shows on this, uh, you know, this type of acumen of understanding human nature. And human nature sometimes is necessary to actually say it's me. Because that's what breaks the silence and breaks the shame. And that alone helps the healing. Which brings to mind another a, a tremendous pirush of the Reb Marash based on a Gemara. The Gemara says, A person who's concerned or anxious the Gemara says. 
The Posuk says, I should say. The Posuk says, Yasechano. So the Gemara asks, what's Yasechano? So there are two meanings. One is Yasechano means you should speak about it from the word Sicha. Discuss it with another person. You have anxiety, you have concerns. Discuss it with another person. The other is Yasechano, like with a Samach, from the word Heschadas. Distract yourself from it. Think about other things. Distract yourself. This is brought in, uh, in Hayyem Yem. The, 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 so the question, of course, is asked. It seems like it's a contradiction. Because speaking about it is the exact opposite of, of, of ignoring it. Yasechena means pushing it away and thinking about other things. Speaking about it means dwelling on it. The Reb Marash answers. This is brought in the Igris Kedish of the Friedrich Rebbe. Reb Marash answers this answer. He answers that by speaking about it with someone else, you release it from yourself. Once you release it, you can then distract yourself. If you don't speak about it, you dwell on it, and you obsess over it, and it consumes you, as we see. Which, of course, is one of the contradictions we find in Chassidus, and this is the reconciliation. Sometimes it says, you have a negative thing going on, you're angry, you're upset, or felt insulted, ignore it. Other times it says, because if you don't ignore it, you speak about it, it fuels the flames. Other times it says, speak about it, because then you release it. The answer is, both are true. That by speaking about it, you actually weaken because you free yourself from it. So there are times where you can just ignore yourself, ignore it, and that alone, that's enough. But there are times not ignoring the way you speak about it, that in a way frees you of it, which is the idea of speaking to Mashpia, This, of course, applies to every given situation. And tremendous lessons from the Balya Meledis of Bezir of the Chathchila Ribar. Much more can be said, but we try to keep concise in context of all that has to be discussed in this uh, these hour, a little hour of 15 minutes ep- episodes. So we'll move from this to the Parsha. We're also this week in the Parsha of Sazriya Mitzayra. In Eretz Yisrael, it's uh, the next Parsha because the Echon Pesach was already Parsha Shavuah because it was already after this only seven days of Pesach. But it soon will straighten out and even out. But meanwhile, we're in Parsha Sazriya Mitzayra in the place where the 770, the place, the Mokim Merkazi, the center of, of Chabad in New York, is in outside of Eretz Yisrael. So we read Tzadzirim Metzeda, which has many, many lessons. And let me refer you a little cross-referencing first to the topics of Ir and Bezir. I discussed them in previous episodes, 64, 113, and Bezir, 114 and 159. So these are cross-references because now that we have all these episodes, it's important to make sure that uh, each complements the other. Obviously, there'll be topics that are addressed from different angles, but there's many much overlap as well. And the topic of Pazim Etzeda I discussed in episodes 64, 110, and 111. But we'll talk about a, a specific theme. Just in general, Pazim Etzeda on one hand seems to be very negative. Both of them talk about one of the, one of the harshest experiences in life, the leper, the Metzeda. And... Um, And the Mitzayda can be seen as a very negative thing. Why? Because it's about it's about someone, due to the fact that they spoke Lashon Hara, Mitzah Shemra, it's one of the reasons, Mitzayda, Mitzah Shemra, um, that they spoke negatively and maliciously and slandering another person. So there's the spiritual illness that they became a leper. This is not, as the Rambam explains, it's not a natural disease of leprosy or, uh, or other things that we're familiar with. This was a particular thing, was in the time of the Besamilish, in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, of course, that was a result of people, disconnection of people. And there's a whole process how this person is sent Mechutz Lamachna, very negative, very lonely, and very isolating experience when you read the Torah. And yet, the Sefer Yetzirah says an interesting expression, that the word nega, which is the word for leper, nega tzaras, Nega is also Aishis Enig, pleasure. And, and the Sefer Yitzhak says this expression, Ein lamata menega ve'ein enig. Nothing is lower than a, than a leper, than the leprosy, than the, than the blemishes connected to that. And there's nothing greater and higher than Enig. Why would you equate the two? Because Yitzhak explains the highest, highest things fall in the lowest places. And that's why, says Yitzhak said it briefly, on one hand, yes, ostensibly seems to be a negative, but what comes out of it can be an unbelievable great thing. That's why Mashiach is called a Mitzayda. Mashiach called a Mitzayda because, yes, he transforms the darkest of the darkest and comes from that place. 
Kisazriya. So even though the Pasha continues and talks about the different impurities, including later with the, the discussion about Mitzayra as well as it goes into the next Pasha, and this year they come together. But Kisazriya Isha, Ileda Zachar, Sazriya is birth. So it's not the leper as the negative, it's what is birthed out of the negative, that from the nega, from the darkest, can be birthed the greatest, Mashiach itself, and the and birthing of the Geula, which is compared to Shir Loshan Zachar, Azachar, the power of the Geula, Amitis Vashlem. The Rebbe explains this in a number of places. That's just one thing that is a lesson to each of us, that sometimes the darkest leads to the greatest. But another thing I want to address, which is actually the Chassidus question of this week, and we'll do something a little different because it's connected to the Pasha. So I'll do this first, or early on now. And this will be considered the Chassidus question. So the Chassidus question of this week is, how do you explain in palatable terms the idea of a Mitzayda according to Chassidus as one lacking the bitl of Eir Abba? Eir Abba means the light of Chochmah. Abba is in Kabbalah. Abba ve'ima is Chochmah and Bina. So Chochmah, wisdom, is Eir Abba. So Chassidus explains that that's what a Mitzayda is. How do you explain that in palatable terms? So here's the language of the questioner. I am thinking about learning the Sikh in volume 12 of Lakutis Sikhs Amitseda with a group of friends who are not observant, but have some background. On page 81-82, this is volume 12, in paragraph 9, the Rebbe references Lakutis Teda. That's the Alta Rebbe's Lakutis Teda on this parsha, and concludes with a reference to Ir Abba, Inyan Habitl. I looked at Lakutis Teda, and even though it's in Hebrew, it was mostly Greek to me. Can you help flesh out what more this means other than Inyan Habitl? Thank you. Okay. So here in an inimitable way, the Alter Rebbe, obviously basing it on Kabbalah, but Kabbalah is quite cryptic, explains the concept of Negoim, Api, Kabbalah, and Chassidus. But in the even of Chassidus, Chabad explains it in a way that we all can relate to. Briefly, what was the, the sign of a, a Mitzayda, a sign of a Tzadas, of a Nega, is Beheres. Beheres is that there are patch, patches of white appear on the skin, God forbid, like lesions, patch, patches of white on the skin of a person. It could also be on the skin of, of a house. It could also be in other aspects. But we're talking here about the human being. So, the, what, what, and so, the, so the, the, the din is, you bring it to a coin who looks at it. If it's a white patch, it's not yet necessarily means that it's tome, impure. If the white patch also is growing white strands of hair, sarlovon, then you know that it's tome. If, however, there's no white hair, it's not necessarily tummy. If, on the other hand, the opposite, you see white hairs, but you don't see a white patch, that also doesn't mean it's toher. Then the, the, the Alter Rebbe discusses the Gemara that asks what happens if it's a Suffolk, if you don't know which grew first. So there's the Mechlekes between Mesef to the Rekia, Mesef to the Kuchabrich. I'm not going to go into that right now. I want to focus on the actual thing. Explains Kabbalah and Alter Rebbe elaborates on this what is, the, what is this white, white, white patch? A white patch means the blood has been drawn out of it. White. When something turns white and pale, it means there's no blood. Something is blocking the blood from flowing. That's why Metzayda is called in Targum, Sgirusa. Something is closed. Think about it from a physical point of view. When, when in, in the flow of blood in the body, the whole body is based, health is based on a constant flow. If God forbid there's a blockage and blood doesn't flow somewhere, it turns white. And that's dangerous. The same thing on the spiritual level, this idea of the white, of the, of, the, of the blood being drained from that particular area, means there's a block. What is the block? That Eir HaChochmah, the Eir HaChochmah of Bittl, is not flowing in that place. And that's what cause, causes a nega. But it's not enough that it's not flowing. When blood is not flowing somewhere, it still doesn't mean that it's going to be infected. But now it's a breeding ground for infection. When the blood flows properly in a human body, that protects the body from bacteria and from other negative and infections and other things to cling to the person, God forbid. But if something is blood is not there, so then it becomes a very dry area. This allows potential for clippers, for the negative, let's call it spiritual bacteria to gather. So if the white is a patch of white, that means it's a breeding ground, but it still doesn't make it impure. However, if there's a growing white hair, why white hair? Because it means now there's a growth coming out of it. Now you know you're in danger. This is where there's a growth, a growth happening in this vacuum. And that's where there's a problem, because now the drainage of the blood, which means the lack of the bitl that gives things life, that causes 
that the potential breeding ground, and then the spiritual infection takes hold. So what's the solution? You have to go to the koyin, a koyin is chachmeh, that he reintroduces the bitl. In simple terms, it means, let's talk about the mitzayda. What did the mitzayda do? He spoke negatively about another. When you speak negatively about another, what you're doing is cutting yourself off from the flow. Human race, the social structure is such that there's a give and take. And therefore there's a love and a kindness that we have to show each other. When a person talks negatively about another, they're in a sense like draining the blood, which is why Lashon Hara is sometimes called killing someone. Because Azla Sumka, Azla Chivrev, Azla Sumka, which means a person's face is red, and then when you, when you insult them, it turns white. It's like literally draining their blood. So and when, you, when a person, God forbid, creates a disconnect by talking negatively about someone, that means it's a certain form of arrogance that you think you're better than them, you're condescending and hurtful. You are draining the blood, the spiritual blood. You're draining, the, there's no bitl, there's arrogance. So, with you, so what happens is it causes a white spot. That white patch is now a breeding ground for problems. When the flow is good, there's a flow and everyone communicates and there's a give and take in society. But when there's the, like the midas daim, according to the Yashemim, shalish, shalish, shalach, shalach, that mine is mine, yours is yours. In other words, let's not connect to each other. You're leaving room for problems because cooperation and coexistence is necessary for a healthy society. The same is true in our personal lives. When there's a split between parents, between spouses, or there's a split between parents and children, or there's disagreements and conflicts and divisiveness and community members. All that is a cut of the blood flow that's so necessary for survival is not there. What really means that the bittle is not. When there's no bittle, what happens is arrogance begins to take. Arrogance is the breeding ground for problems. And you'll see every society that has fallen, every empire, began because they lost their humility. We're now in the month of year, for example. It says, what is the reason, one of the reasons it's, it's a days where you don't make weddings and you don't listen to music is because the 24,000 students of Rabbi Kiva, they no covered Zebazah. They didn't show honor to one another. And that caused an epidemic. When there's lack of unity, meaning the link is broken, it's going to give and it's going to have cause and effect, cause problems. Ahdus unity is the source of blessings. When people are united, they work together, they coexist, they cooperate, they complement each other, that's the source of all health. Think of the human body, the same thing. The flow of blood is flowing through everything. But if there's one place there's a blockage, then you have the potential for problems. Once hair starts growing from there, then you see there's actual problem. So you can still stop it. If there's only a white patch and nothing has grown from it, you can try to reconnect what has been severed. But once there's that split, once there's that shemra. That creates the white patch and the bitl is missing. So how do you correct it? How do you heal? You need to have you have to bring it to the kain who's the era chachma. He reintroduces the bitl of chachma. Bina itself, the Alter Rebbe explains, understanding is not enough because bina could also mean I understand. It's the beginning of I understand like different than you do. Like the Tamidim of Rabbi Akiva, their bina conflicted with one another. Chachma introduces, it's not about me, it's about the truth of the idea. Like he says in chapter 35 in Tanya, in the Haggad, that Chachmah, that's where the Insof resides, because it brings that, it's not just I understand. It's understanding that I am bottle, I am humble to a higher truth. If all the 24,000 Talmudim of Rabbi Akiva knew that, students of Rabbi Akiva, then there would be the symbiosis instead of the split and the divisiveness. So the Koyan reintroduces that, reintroduces that bitl. In other language, the Alter Rebbe says that that the Ratzi Veshuv is the key to everything, flow, ebb and flow, Ratzi, a yearning and a returning. If a person only has Ratzi, that's like where the, the, the blood is being drained and it's left, leaves a white patch and it doesn't return. So you can think yearning is a great thing, no, but yearning is, means your selfish spirituality. Like we spoke last week about Nadav and Naviyu. You have to have, has to come down and be integrated. It's not enough that Chachma should just move on on its own. Chachma has to be directed toward vivifying and energizing and yes bringing blood into Bina and then into the Midas and to the rest of the human being to make it healthy so this is a, actually a formula that you can dissect and analyze any given psychological emotional issue where there's a lack of Bitla, a lack of Chochmah there becomes a disconnect, a white patch and then you need to repair and correct it 
So this is one way to explain this idea in very practical and palatable terms. So this is Chassidah's question. Let us now go to a few questions that were asked, new questions, and we will continue, as we said. I want to just mention many people have asked questions and have asked me and have written to us when will we answer them. We're going in order. There are, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of questions. We don't have a backup of hundreds, but we have a, definitely a backup of uh, yeah, maybe close to 100. So I'm trying to, we try to batch them together by topic. And as you'll see, we are moving along and trying to cover new topics as well as some of the follow-up. So bear with us. Thank God it's a good problem to have because it's the success of the program, which is really a tribute to all of you who are contributing, who are continuously asking questions. It seems to be a place that people feel trust to be able to ask questions, and I really am honored and humbled to be able to participate in that and offer whatever I can. But it's necessary to have your input both in your questions and also if you have any comments or any feedback or any answers or places of Chassidus or in the Rebbe's letters or other places that I have not mentioned to help me be able to help everyone else by offering that material. So we'll get to every question. Here's a question that's actually negated today is the last day of Nisan. So here's a question. Selective mitzvahs. Why don't we see Chassidim being scrupulous in doing blessings on trees in Nisan? Petach Hamoyer and Shaluah HaKan. So three different questions, but all in one family. And that is, there's the Din Hareya Eseilam, when you see a tree blossoming, fruit tree, it's understood to be, it's supposed to make a special blessing. And we see people do that. They go play and make blessings. So why don't we see Chassidim being scrupulous about that? This question also throws in Petach Hameir. Petach Hameir is when you own a donkey, you have to redeem it like this. Petach, like this Pidyan Haben, the firstborn. Same thing with the Hameir. L'havdil. So why don't we see people fulfilling that? And finally the third, Shaluah HaKan. That when you want to take away the fledglings, the, the little birds, you have to send away its mother in a, uh, from the nest. We don't see people doing these mitzvahs. Chassidim especially. Another questioner asks in different terms. Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. I want to talk to you today about Birchus Heilonas, the blessings and trees that people make in Chedesh Nissen. This month of Nissen. I never made this blessing because I don't know what the Minik Chabad is, what the custom of Chabad is in this regard. Also, I've seen differences of opinion in Halacha regarding this custom. Some say to make a blessing on a fruit tree, and some say to make a blessing on a tree that buds flowers is enough. So I'm wondering if you know what the Minik Chabad, what the custom of Chabad is in this custom, and the Halacha is connected to this. Also, if you can find out if the Rebbe made this blessing. Also, I recall reading that there is opinions that say you can make the blessing at the end of other or at the beginning of year. It's especially a time of discussion for this year since it's a late season and the trees did not yet bud. Hatzlach HaRabba, Mashiach now. Okay. I, we, can, we, we, it's, we know that the Rebbe definitely did not make it every year. But did he ever make it? I mean, listen, we weren't with the Rebbe all the time, so we don't know. But, that, but that to go out, out of his way to do the mitzvah, well, we did not see it. And again, if anybody has more information on this that I'm not familiar with, please share it, and I will share it with the public for the benefit of everyone. Okay. But here's the bottom line. It is no mitzvah to go look out for a tree and make a blessing. It says, When you see a tree, you're in passing, then there's a mitzvah. Just like there's other mitzvahs that say certain blessings are made when you see it. You make a blessing on thunder and lightning. That doesn't mean you have to go look for thunder and lightning to make a blessing. If it's happening and you're in the proximity, you make the blessing. So the same thing with Petr Chameir and Shiloh HaKan. It doesn't say anyway that you have to buy a donkey in order to redeem it with that mitzvah. If you have a donkey, that's the mitzvah. Same thing with Shiloh HaKan. You have to go look for a nest. If you want to take the, the eggs or take the little birds and so on, there is the, what it says, send away the mother for the compassion that the mother shouldn't see and have the pain. If you find it, these are all if. We don't have a mitzvah to go look out for it. And there's no necessary, it doesn't say anywhere, go look to, to do especially these mitzvahs. We have tayag mitzvahs, thank God. We have many mitzvahs that we must do and we must seek out to do. These are not some of them. So that's number one. Number two, especially regarding chassidim, regarding many Jews, once we went to Golis, many of the Golis of Jews was in northern countries, which means the cold countries, not Etzisrael. Etzisrael and other countries which are more warm, not all year round, but even the winter is, is mild. So in these countries, in Russia, for example, or other places, essentially these mitzvahs were almost impossible. The time that you did not see trees blossom in the month of Nisan due to the cold. 
And same thing with Petr Chamer, who owned a donkey. And finally, Shiluch Khan it was not a common thing to have people who had birds or that, and, and able to go, be Mekayim this mitzvah. So there's a simple practical issue. It wasn't common. So that's why it became something that was not part of the custom because people didn't really have the opportunity to do so. This doesn't take away from the mitzvah, and it doesn't take away from those that do see. There is a mitzvah when you see it, as I said in point number one. These are the two points so that, that, that basically there, was, that, as a, there were not no or really such opportunities. Okay. Next question. Next question is a topic that keeps coming back again and again, but it seems to be very relevant, and I'm sure it is relevant, and that is a topic of does negating secular education mean that we have to be ignorant? So before I continue, this has a few sub-questions as well. Um, are we obligated to teach our children a trade and how to make a living? And should we, should we not be teaching basic English and math skills? Now, before I continue, I want to discuss that I discussed this at length, relatively, in episodes 24 through 27. It's four episodes, 24, 25, 26, 27. In episode 45 and episode 153. I'm obviously not going to go over everything I've said there, because I said it already. And there I cited from Sichis and from the Rebbe's approach and our times. But I will address it because this is a topic that's relevant, but I refer you absolutely to look in those episodes. So here's how the question was phrased, a little more detail, and I'll address it to some extent, but again, referring you back to those episodes. Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. Being, being brought up in the Chabad system and taking the Chassidus way of life as a priority, I've understood that the values of secular studies were not valued by the Rebbe. I'm aware of exceptions. However, a few things bother me, bother me about this. One, I don't want to be ignorant. When I switch on a light or turn on my phone, I keep getting this reminder of how much I don't know. Or even, yeah. Number two, getting shlichus is not easy or not in everyone's interest. But having to start your secular education at 20 or 22, which is allowed for a career, without knowing anything is a real put-off and so many odds are against you. Number three, I don't want my kids to be stuck like this. Would it be wrong to send them to a school which teaches secular ed? Another person writes the following. Secular studies and betochen. When it comes to our Chabad Meizdeh schools, I truly believe that Limud Kedish, which is, of course, the studies, holy studies of Torah, should be priority number one. Now, would it be fair to claim that I have a problem in betochen and lack of discussion to the Rebbe if I also think that strong English and math skills should also be taught in our schools? Statistically speaking, just a few of our graduates become a classical shliach, and vast majority have a smicha, but are ameorits, meaning they have ordination, but they are ignorant. Sorry for being blunt here. In other words, wouldn't it be better if part of this big cohort of graduates would find themselves in this limbo, not classical shliach and ameorits, had the proper education to pursue high-paying jobs? Become, become, the, become the shliach at their respective offices, earn a good panosa that would be used to improve our community and be a walking Kiddush Hashem. Okay. And finally, a third question in this, in this family of questions. Education. Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. Thank you for your weekly class. It is truly a weekly treat. I would like to ask you about the Rebbe's approach to Chinuch. In Pasha Shmeiz, there are several sikhs on the Posuk Kol HaBen HaYelud HaYeedet HaShlichuhu. That's talking about Apare's decree to throw in all the male boys into the river Nile. The Rebbe explains that in our days, this gezeda, this decree, is when we educate our children on the basis of seeking tachlis, a career, which means preparing our children for a future career. This is a decree of Pare in our Golos. Children in school must be given only a pure Torah education, but the Gemara in Kedushin states that a father has the obligation of teaching his child a career. It should be noted that this Gemara is not brought la'alacha by the Rambam or Shulchan Aruch. Was the Rebbe's approach based on the fact that we may not paskin like this Gemara and no one has the obligation of worrying for their kid's future? Or there is an obligation, but the Rebbe simply believed that a career can be taught to kids when they reach adulthood, when it actually is time for them to provide for their family. I remember seeing in Sichas, where the Rebbe talks about going to college, that the main problem of it is that in America it became part of education. 
Besides for the issue of Chachmas Chetzenis, the Rebbe held that education should not be focused on the future of a child's livelihood, but rather on raising good and moral people. If you can please clarify this point, because a lot of people are confused on this topic, especially when there are elements who are trying to interfere in today's Jewish education, and they officially base their opinion on Torah and Chazal. Thank you again, and if I may add a suggestion, that all the classes of my life should be documented in a book, so that all the references in Chassidus can be easily accessed. I'm sure this would be the greatest work of Chassidus in our days. Thank you. Okay. Excellent questions. Again, I refer you back to the episodes I mentioned earlier, 24 through 27, 45, and 153. But I will say the following. No, there's no way that the Torah advocates ignorance. Let's start with that. The Torah says clearly, it's about that that you have for all the nations to see, not just among yourselves. Jews are considered wise people. There's no way the Torah is advocating illiteracy and ignorance. When you look in history, you see. You see Tanoim and Amaroim were scholars, not just in Teda, but also in worldly matters. Some in medicine, some in mathematics, some in astronomy. The Rambam was, of course, a doctor, a physician. And you see this across the board. So you can ask another question, which is not asked here, but I addressed back then in those episodes. So what's Mitamon now not? Why can't we have that balance? The answer is twofold. That today we live in a world that there is so few we'll call them soul doctors, people who can help other Jews with assimilation rampant, levels that are 80, 90%. Most Jews not having any children born in captivity without awareness. So we're not living in a balanced world. We're not living in a world where everybody knows Teda. So therefore, you can have the balance. There's so many people who don't know, so it's a matter of pekoach nefesh. And the Rebbe seeing himself as a shleich of Hashem, or I say better, that we see that, that Hashem sent him to this world, recognizing and taking the pulse of our generation, so recognized an, an, not only an opportunity, an obligation to save lives, spiritual lives. So just like you need doctors to save physical lives, and you need lawyers, and you need accountants, we need soul doctors, people who are familiar with Teda and are going to go out there and literally save spiritual lives from the, from the plague of intermarriage, of assimilation, of ignorance, apathy, and all that comes with it. Muhammad's based of it, as the, as the Rebbe Rashab said in establishing Temchit Mimim. That's number one. Number two, the fact of the matter is today, secular education, in many ways, fights against the concept of morality. It's morally, it's amoral, or even more than that. And essentially, it sees religion as a threat. So in environments, some of the academic environments, it actually will undermine people's beliefs and people's faith, and even morality itself. So this is not an attack on wisdom, God forbid, on math, on science, on astronomy. These are all things necessary, actually. Hilchus Kiddush HaChedush, mathematics and Hilchus Edevin, and so on and so forth. And so many other things that the Gemara talks about needing to know the matters of the world in order to be able to paskin about them. That's not talking about that. We're talking about the world in which we live. The world in which we live, and I should add a third thing, which I neglected to mention, that the career is being worshipped as an end in itself. So three things. Number one, we don't have a balanced world because most people are completely ignorant of Teda. Number two, we live in a world, the academic world is actually at war with religious beliefs. And number three, they turn the career as if as it's, it's a, a god of its own. That's why the Rebbe uses Pari as an example. Like, without it, you can't survive. But it's only a means to make money. And the Rebbe wanted to infuse us with the idea that your purpose, you came in a Shama, came down to earth, is not to be a successful business person. It's to transform this world and make it a dira betachtenim. I was just reading an article based on a book by an author who writes about the, I forgot the title of it, but I think the end, the failure of uh, higher education or something like that. And he says there clearly that there's two aspects to higher education. It's true. Statistics show with it you can get a better job, but not necessarily because you have more knowledge. But the impression that you have more knowledge. Because the fact that you went through the system means you'll be a conformist, and you'll be someone who will go along and and be a team worker. And that's why you have the credentials. So it's not about the actual knowledge necessarily. It's about actually the perception that you are part of the system. Teirei Mitzvah is God sent us to transform the system. 
We don't want more of the system. You want to change the system, you have to change it from outside. And transformation can't become someone that becomes part of that same sense of conformity. If anybody wants more information on this article, I can send it to you, the links. But it's fascinating. So this is not knocking the actual thing that some people become doctors and lawyers and attorneys. We use them all the time. Engineers, programmers, and so many other things. It's about understanding what is our mission in this world and what do we want to infuse our children with. And the Rebbe, as a Rebbe, leader of a generation, a commander-in-chief, is telling the soldiers of the generation where they should put their energy. So that answers most of the questions. So it's not about ignorance. It's about actually training our children to be the soldiers they're meant to be with all the knowledge they need to do that. Should there be the teaching, tutoring, private tutoring about math or basic English? Remember, studying Latin, studying philosophy, and studying many of the things, as this writer writes in his best-selling book, are not necessary even for careers. Again, it's to show that you went through that rigorous training so people say, are you going to be part of the system? But basic trades, listen, just like you turn to, to, just like we learn how to drive a car or learn how to use a telephone, other technologies, the, the, the Rebbe is not coming out against knowing the basics of, that are necessary for basic tools. But to turn that as a priority, as if that's the end of it all, no, that's a tool. You don't make a tool chest the purpose of all your education. A tool chest is necessary to fulfill the purpose of your life, which is the main focus in all of the, in all of the points that the Rebbe makes regarding this topic. So I want to see if I answered all the proper questions. Yeah, I believe I did. And this complements what I said in the previous uh, episodes that I referred to earlier. Okay. As far as a parent being responsible to teach a trade, yes, there is such a gemara, and it's not, we're not negating it. The Rebbe has a letter I read a few weeks ago about studying, having a career, having a parnasa before a and he says, even though it says that, but today we should go the other order. So the same thing can be applied. This doesn't mean we don't do responsibly help our children with parnasa and help them learn what they need to do. Obviously, op- option number one is to make a parnasa through being soldiers and shluchim that change the world. But even if a person chooses not that, like he's called the formal version of it, even though I don't know what the word formal means, but whatever it is, it's still you can be very successful and knowing still what your purpose is in this world, why Hashem sent you here. So to add just that footnote. Okay. The next question is, how, do I, how can I connect emotionally and not just intellectually? Good. Wait, let me read the question. I, I listened to an earlier episode. I just, I just now listened to a podcast this goes back many, many months ago um, where I spoke about intimacy and music. So I just listened to a passage in which you spoke about the correct definition of intimacy. You brought down a point about intellectualizing either music or sexuality which can ruin the experience. In other words, some experiences just have to be experienced and not intellectualized. I identify this point with davening. It used to be for me in the early days very spiritual on different levels, depending where I was holding in life. Davening, that is, prayer. But now I think the same meditations plus more, and it's boring. Even though I learn more to this and have a strong mental awareness and a great passion to what I'm learning, specifically the Rebbe and the Rebbe Rashab is my modem. I do think what I learn during diving, but I'm like trying to force it in. Specifically, when I read the Mamorim, do I feel connected? I can't spend on every might of five minutes till I experience Shema. Just the first Pasuk. I'm not always calm enough or present enough. Also, regarding music, where's the source that one connects to the singer and his feeling when he made it? I love Shlomo Kabach's music, but I've, A, read strange stories about him. B, he didn't keep halacha. Will it influence my spiritual sensitivity? So this is a topic I did address in episodes 2, 64, 67, 202, and 204. So I'll address the questions and, of course, refer you to those previous episodes. Yes, this is a problem that many of us have, especially as we grow older. Children have a visceral emotional reaction to things. Their minds are not that developed, and therefore they don't intellectualize everything. On one hand, there's a big, there's a big that means they're still immature. Their minds are not yet developed. On the other hand, there's a certain tmimus, sincerity, and seamlessness, seamlessness about it. As we grow into adults, our minds become more powerful. 
But powerful minds on one hand has the value that now you think things through, you're more reflective, you're not as impulsive. But on the other hand, you can become a person that plays mind games and you hide behind your mind. And instead of allowing an emotion just to take hold of you, after obviously it's been checked and governed and guided by the mind, you can hide behind your mind and not let yourself be vulnerable. That's, of course, the downside of intellect, which is why we have the expression, as the Rivaj brings, brings a side in the Sheish Mitzvah that talking to Makubo, who knows all the Kavonis and the Sphiris of Chesed and Kale and Chochmen Bin and so on, he says, I daven atinuk, like a child davens. There's a God, I speak to God directly. There's a Tmimus in that. Intellect is never meant to replace the emotional, pure, and, and sincere experience of things. It was meant to guide it to make sure that it's refined emotions and it's not just impulsive or not just childish or undeveloped. It's meant to guide it. But this can happen where a person intellectualizes. Think of music. If you start analyzing how you're reacting to music and you start monitoring yourself and looking for tests and so on, you'll, be, you'll lose the moment, the moment, the magical moment. And the same thing is with intimacy and the same thing with all healthy forms of love and experiences that you need to make sure it's healthy, make sure it's sacred, you have to make sure that it's healthy for you, but then you have to experience and let it experience. And davening, davening is not intellectualizing, it's not sitting and learning the Pirish Hamilas according to Chassidus. That you do beforehand. We talked about this a number of times. His bonus kedem is contemplating on ideas of Chassidus. Then you prepare the ground, your mind has prepared the ground for you to emotionally now experience those places. And the Magid's famous answer to his Makubal friend, why it takes him davening so long, he says, You have to travel and get the material. It's not enough to just contemplate about the materials. I gave the example of a businessman who travels, has to go there. He can't just sit in his town and say, I'm going to meditate on the place where I have to do business, and that's a meditation. You need the scheder, you need to go there, you need to experience it. There's nothing like experience. And experience is an emotional... So how does one maintain that? The answer is, you, firstly, you need to be aware that this is what we contend, our tendency is to gravitate to a more intellectualizing place and need to learn to trust, need to learn to let go. And a chassid sits under a talus. A person davens purely, they let go and they just trust. And they're like a child that just lets go and is vulnerable with uh, their soul and with God's presence in their soul and all that the teretit and all the tefillis and all the davening that davening represents for us. Is that type of Experience, letting, experiencing it. Ezu Avedishabalev, what is the service of the heart, not of the mind? Is to eat fill it, that's davening. Praying, Adam Kiyakov, you're offering yourself. You're standing in that type of state of an emotional connection to what your purpose is, to what God wants of you, and so on. As far as the question about, so how do you get back to a place like that? You simply have to take one filler, whether it's Shema, instead of intellectualizing it. Think in those terms. What does that mean, that type of Hashem Echad? How do I melt? How, how do I get absorbed in the unity of the divine when you say Shema in a very personal way? The protection, the nurturing, and all that comes with that. And each of us has to translate it in our own personal terms. As far as your question about where you see it, if you go to the Sefer and Nagunim, Chabad, you'll see there's a beautiful introduction, and there he brings several sources, how the Baal HaMenag, the composer of a song, invests his soul in it. The truth is it's also an author. Anon Nafshik Sovis Yehovah's God says, Anoichi is the acronym, that I invest. I invest in my soul in these words. And how much more so a song, which is Kul Masalev, the, the quill of the heart. So the person's soul is invested. And if it's a holy song, you have that connection. That's why when you sing a nigan, you connect with the Balam and Nagan, the composer, or the one that that nigan was special to them because the nigan helps you, transport you to that place, transcending time and space and transporting you. And if, God forbid, a nigan that comes from a bad place can be a beautiful song, but it connects you sometimes to the tumor, to the negativity that is related to the person who composes it and their space. And you could look there, it brings from the Fransichas of the Friedrich Rebbe, based on Chazal, there's a famous story also with Acher, regarding music from the wrong sources and other things like that. And that answers the question. Next question. Chakras and the third eye. What is the Jewish perspective on chakras and the third eye? Third eye and chakras are basically really material that comes from far eastern thought. 
and therefore has to, great care has to be taken because it's sometimes connected to things that are Advaita or Avizraya either Vedizara or borders on Vedizara, because it's used in ways that are using idols and other forms of worship that are not, worship, not connecting to God directly. So that's general has to be taken. That's the same thing with yoga and other areas. Generally speaking, the concept of a third eye, let's start with the third eye, is basic that there's, besides common conscious intelligence, there's the ability to have a certain perception, almost like an intuition. A third eye, it's called. Now, the concept exists in Chassidus and Kabbalah, but I wouldn't call it a third eye. There you could have either the concept of Das, that connects you, his kashadus, to something more than just Chachmah Bina, or Chachmah, for that matter, because Chachmah connects to Chachmah Stima, which is superconsciousness. Now, I, I mean, there are times we make parallels. Sometimes it may be helpful to explain it to people. I'm, in this case, I would not make parallels. I would say we have in Torah and Chassidus enough material that addresses this issue. So I would stay away because it gets too complicated to start reconciling. And as I said, it has other factors that can be involved with others will interpret it the wrong way. Chakras is a thing in the, again, Far Eastern, even medicine and other school of thought and schools of thought talk about the different regions in the human body, including the third eye, that have different energies. Now, if you didn't use that word, you'll find the Chassidus and Kabbalah the same idea. Every faculty is energy. It all originates from energy. When you say love, Ava originates from Chesed, which is love and kindness energy. Gvura originates from discipline energy. So when we talk about awe, same thing, compassion. This week of Teferis, compassion is a compassionate energy. The idea of energy in seven, seven forms of energy is the seven emotions, driven by the three cognitive. When you talk on a superconscious level, even on Atik and Arich, you also have the, 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 the ten spheres in Atik and the ten spheres in Arich, the Zayin Tachtenus of Atik. So even a superconscious, you also have regions that you can say are focused on different energies. We know that the human body is structured like the human soul in the divine image, which means there's a right, left, and a center. So the regions are also there. Chesed is the right. Roi Yimina. Gvura is Rei Yismel, the left side, the left arm. And Teferis is in the middle. So if you look at the structure of the Sphiris, Chochmeh is the right brain, Pina the left, and uh, the Das is the center brain. Chesed is the right, Gvura the center, Teferis is the, Gvura the left, I'm sorry, Teferis the center. The middle path, the spine. And then Netzach, Chayid Yisod, again, and Malchus. So it's like structured, and therefore there are these regions, and therefore they relate to these different types of energy that we're discussing. As I said, I, am not, I don't feel equipped, nor do I feel appropriate to really make parallels, but the concepts exist, and I would stick to the way Chassidus and Kabbalah addresses it, because there's no need to go there. Now, if someone happened to have learned it and knows it, and they can derive the Chodra Chachodayu, messages that can be applied and taught through Torah language, fine. But to get to start trying to make too many parallels, and some have tried to do that, I would stay away from that because it gets too complicated. And what's the point? If you want to learn how to access these energies, so Chassidus and Kabbalah teaches you how to do so. If you can learn something from those places, like anything, if it's, if it's not impure or it's not, as I said, connected to things that are inappropriate, obviously you can learn. But I wouldn't go there initially. I would just learn to find ways to translate Chassidus and Kabbalah in that way, the energies within the regions of our body, within the regions of the cosmos, and how we access it through mitzvahs. Mitzvahs are called connections. We connect an energy. When a person does a mitzvah like Achnos or Chesed, they're drawing down the energy of Chesed to the right side within you, because our faculties on Ishtal are evolved mehen from the ten, hidden, ten spheres, which in turn evolve from the higher levels of spheres and from higher all the way up to the ten hidden spheres. So you have a whole cosmic order, say the Ishtal of the structures. And every part of the human body, as the Sefer Charedim explains, has mitzvahs corresponding to it. 248 positive mitzvahs correspond to 248 limbs. 365 negative mitzvahs to 365 gidim which is the nerves or sinews or, or uh, however it's translated, and so on. Okay. We'll do one follow-up, then we'll do the essays, because we already did the chassidus question. So what is the follow-up? It was a letter I began reading last week, and I just wanted to finish it to give the person, to give the, person the right uh, to do justice to the person. So he's talking about different ways slichas can be done, and also seeing people being condescending. So I continue from a letter I read last week. So perhaps the reason for the unfriendliness here in Crown Heights 
It could be like this in other places as well. But I live in Kranayat, so I'm familiar with other places. And I can guarantee you, this is my addition, that it is everywhere people can be friendly, can be people unfriendly. People have that choice. It has nothing to do with one exclusive space. Wherever you live, you start seeing there are nice people and there are people who are maybe could work, can, have, can be a little more refined. Is because we don't feel like shluchim and the people that we come in contact with are fellow Lubavitchers and you can't do shlichus with them. And plus, they're also failures because they didn't go on shlichus. This is him explaining why he thinks people are not friendly. Please don't get me wrong, there are beautiful things going on in Crown Heights as well. There are Shiurim, Fabrengans, Achnasasachim, and all kinds of chesed organizations. But since your show is a virtual, is a virtual Fabreng, we have to speak of the things that we are lacking as well. My point basically is, we're nearing Yudzfat, which this year would be 68 Chaim years to the Rebbe's Nesias, which is way more than 40 years, which Chazal refers to. You come to understand your Rebbe. Please explain this Chazal, where is its source? It's a Gemara based on a post and then the Pasha Kisove. I think it's time to broaden the Rebbe Shlichus and not narrow the Rebbe's vision into a box. The genesis of the Rebbe Shlichus initiative began in 1950 when the Rebbe accepted the Nesias. At that time, just after the Second World War, most of the Jewish people were assimilated and no one amongst the Orthodox community was doing anything to bring them back into the fold. So the Rebbe was basically the lifeguard who jumped in to save the Jewish people. So therefore, spiritual outreach became the primary shlichus of Chabad Labavit because this was an area where no one else was doing anything. So we had to do it. But in essence, everything connected to Teir and Mitzvah are part of the shlichus, including helping another Jew materially. And even learning Teir alone is also part of the shlichus. As Chazal say, that means whatever comes your way, direction, grab it. All mentioned above are, of course, my own opinions and observations. So, Rab Simon, I think this, that since you are respected in Lubavitch, which is quite unique these days, perhaps when you speak to Anash, you should refer to them as Shluchim. As you know, the Miraglim came to Eretzisol, as it's recorded in the Posig. They said about the giants, we looked at ourselves like grasshoppers, and that's how we were in their eyes. And there's a vert, if you look at yourself like a grasshopper, that's how you'll be looked at by others. Understandably, if you look at yourself in a negative light, there isn't much you can accomplish. And remember too that the not 5,000 shluchim, that not 5,000 shluchim cannot reach 16 million Jews alone. Everyone has to be enlisted to the army. Just to give you some ideas of shlichus for Anash, Shatchanis is a perfect example. What better shlichus than helping build Kal Yisrael? Bikr How about inviting a teen at risk? I like, them, I like to call them uncatered to teens, to your home for Shabbos. Another idea I thought of for Shlichus, for Nash, when I learned in Morristown, New Jersey, we used to go to a local Chabad on Sunday morning for Shachris breakfast, afterwards breakfast would be served, and we would learn one-on-one with the Bali Batin. The program was called Power Breakfast. Perhaps such a program could be organized in Anash communities worldwide, where the Tri-Straight Shluchim will coordinate such programs, joining members of Anash with their Bali Batin to be active in Kiruv, work and ultimately everyone will benefit. I hope you can read this letter and discuss these topics. I know this letter is a bit long, but I hope you can read it anyway. I read it, and especially the end, I liked some of the suggestions. I'm sure there are many others. I've made many over the, over the years discussing this in my life because it is applied. So thank you for that. And now I will move to the three essays that we begin discussing every week. We're going to go down in order. Last week we did the five top essays. Here are the next three in order. The Holy Cow Diet by Levi Telden, age 34, Shliach, San Antonio, Texas. Very entertaining piece. I highly recommend it. I enjoyed it immensely. The objective, he writes, of this essay sets out to formulate, the essay, this essay sets out to formulate a holistic approach by eating, to eating, a holistic approach to eating by understanding the spiritual centrality of food in Jewish thought, ritual, and culture. And he goes on to speak about food in a very entertaining and engaging way integrating a lot of chassidus, but in ways that you usually do not find. I really found this essay to be excellent in so many different ways, but as I said a number of times, not, not everyone can win the highest prize simply because there are a lot of factors that make a winner. Some essays can be excellent in one area, others excellent in other areas. The winner is ultimately one that's excellent the most in all those areas that everyone, the level playing field, knows about and what an essay requires. But this essay definitely up there and excellent, motivating, and it's great really to read about eating and food. And I won't give it away. I think you should read it yourselves. It speaks about man, the man, lechmen hashemayim. It speaks about how Chassidus explains it, and really well integrated. I must say, excellent, excellent essay. And um, with a lot of sources, and of course, 
discussing how to do, deal with things when you're hungry, not overeating, focusing what eating really is, not just in controlling your eating, but understanding the real deeper spirit of eating. No question, people reading this, it could change your mindset to the whole eating process, which we all do so much part of our lives, is consumption, physical consumption of food. So that's one, the Holy Kala. The next one, a Hebrew one, Hasidic Emotional Intelligence by Shraga Krambi, age 37, Chabad House at Rutgers University, New Brunswick, New Jersey. He was our second place winner last year. He clearly is up there again. And um, it's a beautiful essay, tremendous introduction. One of the best you'll ever read on how emotions play a role in Chassidus. It's the Chiddush of the Alter Rebbe and emotional intelligence. Speaks about it in contrast to how the secular world deals with the, bal- the battle or the balance between cognitive and emotional uh, understanding, intelligence. And then speaks about how it is in the world of Judaism and what Chassidus really contributed. This, this essay could have also easily won the judges felt that, that the first half was excellent, excellent, probably the best of them all. But the second half, for some, was not quite on the same level when he brought it into Tanya. It's still great read and great material and should definitely be translated into English where he explains the, the three different ways that we deal with emotions. Either we ignore emotions or emotions completely control us or the balance of emotions, as, of course, the Tanya, Mayukh Shalat explains. Well done with good graphs, very well resourced, very well annotated, I should say, with excellent resources. So congratulations to Shraga on that. And finally, the third essay, Hack Your Addiction, Chassidus for the Smartphone Era, by Daniel Feld, age 29, acupuncturist, Israel. This again deals with a real contemporary issue. One of the greatest challenges of our modern era is the smartphone, he writes, and the incredible dependency we have developed around it. We rely on our phones for just about every aspect of our lives. This extent, but has created an addiction. The extent of this addiction in our lives is apparent in some mind-boggling statistics. Goes through all the details with statistics. And Chassidus provides an answer to this challenging issue, not to eliminate it, but how to harness it. It provides a contextual basis to understanding something which has both potential for good and bad, such as the smartphone, and a practical path towards overcoming the negative urges which comes with it. And goes on to explain it through the context of Klippas Nega, which is Zeshus, how it can go both directions, to use something that is an opportunity that can be used in a negative way, in a positive way. The answer of Chassidus, limit it, but don't stop the train. Then he uses, an, 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 a cute, uses cutely a very, very, very originally hack your thoughts with an acronym of hack, hack as Havana, Havana, action, contemplation, Kavana. There's four steps in dealing with the, 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 the addictions of, uh, an app, of uh, smartphones in the, in, the, in, the, in the technology era. And an actual application in all those four levels. Again, Havana, action, contemplation, Kavana. Good, nice conclusion. Again, congratulations. Again, these are the top essays, the best ones, and we'll continue reading them week after week. This has been My Life, Chassidus Applied, episode 209, dedicated by Mordechai Slavin. Please make your donations and contributions, dedicate programs at meaningfullife.com slash sponsorship. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. Chassidus, My Life, Chassidus Applied. It's an honor to share a few words. Great to hear your questions. And please keep them coming. We will address them week after week. Everyone have a very healthy and gebenched chedesh ir, chedesh ani Hashem refecha lechatchilu leosem alecha. Shall chatchilu not have any of these challenges? Lechatchilu adiber. A blessed week, and until next Sunday, everyone be well. Thank you.